we're going to have fun during this series. Look to the person at your right. Just look at them for a minute. Now look at the person on your left. There's a real good chance they won't be here after this series. So enjoy their face. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. It's almost like God knew we weren't real smart, so he had to repeat himself. He created them male and female. He created them. One verse, three times, he created them. And he distinguishes that he created male and female. Things that are different are not the same. Doesn't matter what our culture says. It doesn't matter what society says. It really doesn't matter what the church says. God created male and he created female. And there's this battle raging in our society. There's a battle between God's design and the world's design. God created men. God created women. Two unique and different beings. Though similar, both very different. Men get to pee standing up. Women don't. Women look hot naked. Men do not. Those similar, very different. But here's the problem when things begin to get twisted. You always have to go back to the root of where the misinformation comes from. And this is probably going to surprise some of you, but I always have noticed there's two places that misinformation comes from. There's two places where a twisting of God's word comes from. There's two places at any time God has a design and it gets twisted, you can trace it back to that being the root. The first one, the church. The church. The church has created a culture. You don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. That's the beautiful thing about free will. Some of you will agree with some of what I say today. Some of you will agree with none of what I say today. I will agree with everything that I say today. And I'm going to do my best to back it up from the Word of God. The church created a culture where men... Rule over women. They twisted scripture. They've lorded themselves as supreme and women as less. And instead of celebrating the uniqueness of both sexes, men have created a culture, the church has created a culture where men lord over women. So as a result of what the church has done, 
The second place you can always go to that twists God's design is society. The church screws it up and gets it wrong because the church is led by people. It's not flawless. It's not perfect. So many times it was led by men. That society allows the pendulum to swing the clear other way where it tries to do away completely with masculinity. Because after all, masculinity is men lording over women. The church says that's the way it should be. The church is structured that way. The church operates that way. So society swings the pendulum the other way, and it begins to try to do away with God's desire of men are men and women are women. The church is quick to call out society. Society is quick to call out the church. If you step back and take off your denominational glasses or your religious glasses or the way grandma taught you or the way you've been indoctrinated your whole life and begin to look at things in a biblical point of view, while the church is calling out society and society is calling out the church, we'll just call out both. Because the reality is, is they're both wrong. They both moved away from what the Word of God is supposed to be on this subject. Men are amazing. Women are amazing. They complement each other. One is not stronger than the other. We excel in different areas. The two become one. We complement each other. Men are unique. Women are unique. You go back to Genesis, the Bible says God spoke everything out of nothing. He spoke in the, in the water, in the land, and he looked out and he saw it was good. The Bible says that he created the animals and he looked out and saw that it was good. And he created the day and he created the night and he said it was good. And then he created man. And it's the first time or the only time that God looks out at his creation And the words, it was good, are not followed. He looked out and he saw man and realized that man needed a helpmate. He needed somebody to walk alongside of him. I did not say he needed somebody to serve him. I did not say he needed someone that he can lord over. The Bible says he looked out at man after he had created everything and saw that something was missing. And so from the inside rib of a man, he created woman to complement man. I've heard it said that God created everything. Then he created man and looked at it and said, I can do better than that. And he created woman. Men and women, think about this. We are sculpted by the creator. So when we try to eliminate the creation, we insult the creator. Things that are different are not the same. But when we hear that there's differences, I don't know if it's our competitive nature or what it is, we automatically think one has to be over the other. That's not God's design. Things that are different are not the same. There is a difference between men and women, and we're going to be looking at that throughout this series. Today we're going to be looking at the subject, what is man? What is the responsibility of man? Next week, we're going to be looking at what is a woman? 
Third week in the series, we're going to be looking about how do men and women learn to communicate with each other. No, I do not have that figured out. I'll be going away for a seven-day retreat of prayer and fasting. Figure that one out. The last week of the series, we'll be looking at how do men and women come together, dreaming about their future together, while also remaining their individual makeup. It's going to be a fun series. The battle of the sexes. Men are men and women are women. Now let me go ahead and address the elephant in the room. I'm going to address it one time and one time only throughout this series because it has nothing to do with the series. Some of you, this will be the point in this sermon where you decide you will not be back to Action Church. You will turn off the live stream. Thank you for joining us. Glad you came. It won't change what we have to say. One time, I want to address it. I don't give two rips what you identify as. You can identify as a hot pink elephant with purple polka dots. Good for you. It doesn't make you a hot pink elephant with purple polka dots. But you can identify ever how you want to identify. And here's what you're going to get from me as the pastor of this church. And on my watch, what you're going to get from the people of this church. We're going to love you and respect you ever how you identify. But again, just because we love and respect you doesn't make it true. I will not apologize for that. In the simplest terms, men have a penis, girls have a vagina. It's not that complicated. You don't got to like it. It ain't got to make you happy. You don't got to agree. Take it up with the creator. I didn't create. That being said, I'm going to love you and respect you and welcome you in this church no matter what. I identify as an in-shape individual. It's how it works. I am not, but it's how I identify myself. Now let's move past that because I really don't give two rips about that issue. Let's get to the series. We've got some surprises over the next couple of weeks, and I think you're going to like them. This is definitely one of those series you don't want to miss. It'll be good. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who remembers the first movie you ever saw at the movie theater? Doug, did they have movie theaters when you were a kid? So, someone give me, what was the first movie you ever saw? Who? Herbie goes by name. Ain't that like the little white VW bug? Somebody over here, what was the first movie you ever saw? Top Gun, oh, that's a good one. Star Wars, that's a good one. I was four years old. My mom and dad had a date night. The babysitter did not show up. And this was in the day and time where every movie wasn't made into a sequel. So what they would do, I, I don't know if they would always do this because I was four years old, but I remember them doing it this night. You would go to the movies and they would show part one followed by part two. 
four hours of movies. My mom said she thought it would work out. The movie started at 8 o'clock. I was four years old. She said she intentionally didn't have me take a nap that day. And her logic was I would fall asleep during the movie and it would be good. She said we walked into the movie theater. I sat down. And she said for four hours I sat there. I did not blink. And wide-eyed I looked at the screen and I watched Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. She said, I then became obsessed. I know you find that crazy about me that I would become obsessed with certain things. She said, I became obsessed with everything boxing related. She goes, I would go around punching everything, hitting everything. I'd walk around in shorts and no shirt. I'd pull my tube socks up or look like boots. And I was obsessed with Rocky. She said, Rocky III came out. And I remember this a little bit. Rocky III came out and my parents had this thing I don't know if they lasted very long. They looked like albums, and you would insert them and pull it out, and it would show the movie. They were before VHS. Does anybody think they were called LaserDisc or something? Anybody remember that? My dad was a gadget guy, so he always had the latest gadgets. And then Rocky Three came out. My mom said I would quote every word of Rocky Three, And she said I was obsessed with Rocky 3. Man, I love Rocky 1 to this day, and I love Rocky 2 to this day, and I love Rocky 3 to this day. But my jam, because I was a little bit older, I was about 9 or 10 years old, was Rocky 4. I mean, I used to have that black Adidas thing that had like the, the red, white, and green, the Italian Adidas. I mean, I was a pimp at 10 years old. But Rocky 4 was the best, man, because we fought Russia. That was back in the day, man, America versus Russia. And, and, and Rocky had to face adversity, man. Don't you remember he was doubting himself? He was retired and he was done. And, man, he, Drago comes along and he kills Creed. And, man, Rocky's doubting himself. And then his woman tells him she ain't going to Russia with him. I ain't going. Woman to do that to you sometimes. You won't be stupid, go. I ain't going. Now, remember, though, but she came, she showed up at the end. Remember, it? oh, it's good. And then Rocky showed up, and Drago's got all this technology, and he's in it, and Rocky's out there, like, splitting logs with, with um, an axe, and he's running through the snow, and, the, like, losing track of the KJB. And, like, is that what it's called, the KJB? Whatever it was. And, man, Rocky Four was the ish. Man, it was the man. He beats, and he wins. And, like, you were just proud to be an American. He had the American flag. God, I love Rocky Four. I need to go watch that again. Well, you get ready if I watch Rocky Four, Brown Chicken, Brown Cow, at the Lamb House now. Listen, Rocky Four, I'm going to get me an American flag too. Listen, I kid you not, I got on eBay this week. I haven't been on eBay in 20 years. I got on eBay trying to find that Adidas hoodie. I was going to wear it this week, but then it was like 400 bucks for one. Man, it was incredible. As a nine-year-old, Rocky was my definition of what a man was bad to the bone. He just beat up stuff. After that, I went on this kick. I wouldn't watch any movie that had to do with some kind of dude beating somebody up, shooting something up, Rambo, Top Gun, whatever it was. I was consumed with those things. Even as a kid, I knew that I had a different wiring than my sisters. They didn't care about those things. They wanted to watch My Little Pony and Care Bears. And I understand, I'm, let me make this very clear today. I'm swiping with very broad strokes today. I understand that. But when I was consumed with it. 
But the problem is, is man, is we've watched that stuff for so long. And we've been taught for so long. And the church has come along for so long. I think there's, there's never been anything that has held women down more than the church. I'm going to be honest with you. You ain't got to like it. The problem is, is we've seen this show of force. And we as individuals watching these show of forces, it brings an unbalanced view into our mind. And it feeds our worldview. And something develops out of that that society has classified as toxic masculinity. I'll be honest with you today. I believe, and this is going to shock some of you, I believe toxic masculinity 100% exists. Now, I do believe this. I believe society now labels anything called masculinity as toxic, and that's bull stuff. Not true. Masculinity is a gift from God. God put it in us. But there is, there is toxic masculinity, it exists. When a man feels entitled due to the fact that he's a man, that's toxic. When a man thinks because he's a man that he deserves power, money, and sex, that's toxic. When a man looks at woman and sees weakness, that's toxic. When a man feels he has afforded the right to degrade those who are weaker than him, with catcalling, groping, and forcing himself onto them without permission, that's toxic. When a man looks at others as weak, only to make himself feel strong, that's toxic. What we don't realize is toxic masculinity actually diminishes the feminine. It washes out the feminine. It doesn't complement the feminine. I hear men all the time saying, where have all the feminine women gone? Toxic masculinity has destroyed that. Instead of looking at the feminine as complementary, we now look at it as a weakness. There's nothing masculine about this mindset. It's actually the opposite of masculinity. But make no mistake about it today, there is a thing called masculinity. And it's high time we quit being ashamed of being masculine. It's high time we quit worrying what society thinks about being masculine. It sure is hell high time that we quit apologizing for being masculine. God shaped us. He formed us. He put certain traits in us. To eliminate masculinity is to insult the creator. Masculinity doesn't lord over the feminine. They complement each other. And there's a reason we have the phrase power couple. Because when a man is operating in the masculine and a woman is operating in the feminine and the two become one, they're unstoppable. Because the feminine highlights the weakness of the man and the masculinity highlights the weakness of the woman. It's amazing. It's almost, it's, it's almost like God designed it that way. It's almost like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm in my notes. It's almost like the pieces fit together. It's 
Like, we, we, we think like there was a naked man and a naked woman, like, running around the track one day, and they tripped and fell into each other. Like, oh, that feels good. No, it's not how it happened. The pieces go together. We serve a good God. An awesome God. An incredible God. A God who delights in our pleasure. I can't believe you're insinuating things. I'm not insinuating. Let me go and tell you, I'm talking about sex. I'm not insinuating anything. There's a whole book in the Bible called Song of Solomon. You want to start reading the Bible? Take your spouse and start reading the Song of Solomon. It will change your life. And it might change your game, man, because Solomon had some game. Ooh, but that's ain't a sex series. I promised Phil I wouldn't do one for a while. Because of toxic masculinity, we now have a society telling men that it's wrong for them to be men. Everything has been labeled as masculinity, and we're neutering men in the process. This week I Googled top hobbies for men. Anybody want to throw out some hobbies they think that men would be into? Woodworking. Golf. What? Masonry. Fishing. Hunting. Shooting. First article that pops up. Number one. Hot hobby for men. Yoga. I'm not anti-yoga. I'm not anti-men doing yoga. I would challenge you that probably any man that's in a yoga class is not in it for the yoga. But yoga was number one. Number two, hot hobby for men. How many of you think it was hunting? Shooting. Axe throwing. Beer drinking. Number two, hot hobby for men. Cooking pastries. Not grilling meat, not smoking a pork butt, not grilling hamburgers, cooking pastries. Now, again, I know some men who are great pastry chefs and all props to them. But I'm not sure that's one of the number two hot hobbies for men. Number five hot hobby for men. They were kind of manly, not real manly, but I'm the one preaching, so if I don't want to do three or four, I won't. Y'all let me preach. Number five. I didn't even know this was a thing. <laughs> food photography. Taking pictures of food. Like, I do that on my social media, but I don't know that's a hobby. I just do it to be like, because I want to post 30 times a day. Food Photography. As I'm going down the list, I begin to ask myself, who in the hell wrote this? It was a woman. Of course it was a woman. Because no man in their right mind is listing for the masses, because I don't want to offend anybody whose number one hobby is yoga. But in the masses is listing yoga as the number one hobby for men. Cooking pastries is number two. Of course it was a woman. We've screwed up what masculinity is. 
I don't want to offend you, but if you're offended, oh well. The problem is, because of toxic masculinity, and women standing up against toxic masculinity, as they should, we've now allowed women to define what being masculine is. We've said it was a bad action, toxic masculinity. Do not leave here today thinking, I don't think it exists. I think it's horrible. But the result of that action has been a shift in the pendulum where it's unhealthy. Instead of getting back balanced, we've allowed women to define what masculinity is. We live in a day and time of families being split up and single mothers. Let me make something very clear to you. There is nothing more sacred on this earth than a single mother. Thank God for single mothers. You are the superheroes of the world. You deserve a throne. You're a queen. All of the stuff. But a woman can't raise a boy into a man. She can do a great job with him, but he needs to have a man to come along and teach him what masculinity is. Single mom, the first time you walk in when he's about 10 or 11, you find that stiff sock under the bed. This is real talk today. You need a man to come along and speak truth into his life. Because you don't comprehend it. You don't understand it. The first time he's dealing with issues of aggression, you want to eliminate the aggression completely instead of harnessing the aggression because it's testosterone pumping through his body. Please do not think I'm diminishing anything that you do as a single mom. But we've got to get back to discovering what real masculinity is. Rocky is not the definition of masculinity. Rambo is not the definition of masculinity. Who else back in there? Arnold Schwarzenegger. You don't got manly men nowadays in movies like you did back in the old days. Like we had some men back in the day. Man. Now we got cute men. Looks good on your arm at a date, but you don't want him when all hell breaks loose. The ultimate model of masculinity is none other than Jesus Christ. In every sense of the word, he's the masculine. But to even say that shocks a lot of people. Because just as we've neutered masculinity, we've neutered Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus was and is love. Yes, Jesus wept. Shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. We love to talk about Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And make no mistake about it, he's the Lamb of God 
who takes away the sins of the world. But we don't talk much about the revelation version of Jesus in the church. We think the softer we make Jesus, the more people will be drawn to him, and actually nothing is further from the truth. There's a drought in our society of men coming to church. Men don't want to come to church because we're asking them to serve a soft God. But the problem is he's not a soft God. He's a masculine God. Revelation 19 says when he's coming back, he'll be riding a white horse, wearing a robe dipped in blood and a sword coming out of his mouth. I ain't messing with that dude. Dude walks in here right now with a sword coming out of his mouth on a white horse and his robe dipped in blood. I don't even got to know what he believes. I'm with that. I'm on his team. We don't want to talk about that, Jesus. See, that's what's so beautiful about Jesus. He was the balance of both. He was love and war. He was peace and protector. We tend to dictate what he should be, and the church has done a great job because as men lost interest in the church, the church began to cater to women. That's why there's four times more women who attend church than men. But it takes both. The church needs the feminine, but it needs the masculine. I've always said if you reach the man, you reach the family. Stats prove that. They say if you reach the wife first, you have a 16% chance of getting the entire family in church. If you reach the man first, you have a 78% chance of getting the entire family in church. I can't tell you how many women have come up to me over the years and said, man, thank you. And I said, for what? I wouldn't go to this church. It's not the church for me. But it's the only church my husband will come to. And I prayed for years for him to come to church. So thank you. That's why we exist. We're not going to sugarcoat stuff. We're not going to give you one version of Jesus without giving you the other version of Jesus. So today I want to talk to you about what it means to be a man. Ladies, you need to listen to this because you need to understand what it means for a man to be a man. I'm going to try my best to back it up with the Bible. I'm going to show you examples from the life of Jesus. But it is time for men to get back to being men. You say, what about the ladies? Don't worry, ladies, it's your turn next week. Can't cover both in one day. Don't get your feelings hurt. Matter of fact, next week is going to be probably one of the coolest messages you've ever heard because I'm an expert on women. going to be amazing. I'm actually going to make her mad right now. You know what? I'm going to go, I thought I wasn't going to announce this. I'm not even teaching next week. Christine is. For the first time ever. She's teaching next week. I don't think a woman ought to teach. Don't come. Problem solved. It's easy. Woman ought to remain silent in church. You ought to learn the Bible. Take it in context. So much. We could stay here for about 52 weeks. So she's going to teach you next week on what it means. Because at the end of the day, I don't know <laughs> a lot about being a woman. You know, I don't. Sometimes when I'm tired, I pee sitting down. But other than that, I don't really know a lot about 
what it means to be a woman. We'll talk about what it means to be a man. Let me clarify some things there that we think make you a man. Being into sports doesn't make you a man. Shooting a gun doesn't make you a man. Now, we're going to talk about that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Hunting doesn't make you a man. We're going to talk about that. Don't worry. Because there's some points there that are important. Following what society says makes you a man. He knows how to work on his car. He's a man. A lot of men that don't know how to work on cars. It's okay. See, we've classified all the wrong things as what makes you a man. We've classified events as what makes you a man instead of principles being what makes you a man. Men are wired overall a certain way. We have characteristics that make us different than women. Like, that seems so basic, doesn't it? Like, it blows my mind that people would actually argue that point. That there's a difference between men and women. It makes zero sense to me. Like, it's, it's, it's bottom shelf cookies on the bottom shelf easy to understand. As you study the life of Christ, though, you'll see that he has some characteristics about him. That while he was loved, and though he loved people and was caring and soft-spoken many times, there was characteristics of him. And I believe if you want to find out what a man should be in our society, these are characteristics, and these characteristics may manifest themselves in different ways. But these characteristics will exist. Number one, real men are providers. Real men are providers. Let me go ahead and address this. I always feel like i got to get disclaimers in this message. That doesn't mean a woman can't work. That doesn't mean a woman shouldn't work. That doesn't mean it's wrong if a woman works. So for once, clear your mind and do away with your stereotypes and quit putting your walls up when you hear certain things that I say. It doesn't mean that the woman can't make more money than the man. I can't wait for the day Christine makes more money than me with her business. And I'm going to kick back and have a sugar mama. But men are providers. While a huge factor in providing is financial, that's not just what providing means. Men provide. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's hardcore. That's hardcore. A person who doesn't provide for their family physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, the Bible says is worse than an unbeliever. We have a responsibility. We hate that word. I despise having responsibilities. But we have a responsibility as men that we are to be providers for our family. The Bible says in Genesis 3, verse 17, that he said, Adam, because you have listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree of which I commanded you, 
You must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will not eat food from it all the days of your life. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. God told Adam, he said, because you disobeyed me. I can't wait to get to heaven and talk to Adam. Like we had it made. Like we were in a garden. Like Dr. Doolittle talking with animals. Picking fruit off a tree. I like to think back then that God didn't want us to kill animals so like steaks grew from the ground. You want a ribeye, you just went and picked one. And then on top of that, he's naked with Eve. I don't know what Eve looks like, but she, she's the first woman, or she had to be the finest woman ever. He got to be naked all day with Eve, talking to animals, picking steaks, and being naked with a woman. And just like humans, he had one tree he couldn't eat from. <laughs> and boy, we always want what we can't have. And he blew it for all of us. And there's consequences for our actions. And the consequences for Adam, for man, was he had to work the ground. He had to put in the labor. Now, what was freely given to him, he had to work for. What? Oh, don't miss this. Got this in my notes. What God provided freely, the curse was man had to provide through the sweat of his brow. There was consequences. The Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if a man will not work, he will not eat. God has designed us as men to be providers. I'll never understand a man who's not willing to work. I'll never understand a man who's willing not to provide for his family. I'll never understand a man who would allow his hobbies and his interests to take place over his bills. I'll never understand a man who allows his wife to deal with the stress and the burden of making sure that's handled. You don't got to like it. You can go lump it. You don't really care. God makes it clear we're to be providers. Again, that does not diminish the role of the woman. Men are the worst, though, aren't we? Like, our wife gets a job, so now the woman works and the man works. But then the man comes home and thinks he's done for the day. Ladies, you can name man here. But the woman has to work all day and then come cook dinner, clean the kitchen, clean the house, get the kids ready for bed while you relax and unwind from work like she ain't been at work all day. And then we wonder <laughs> why women think masculinity's toxic. If you can't provide enough that she has to do things, and you need to step up and help her in those areas. But y'all don't want that sermon. I never understand people bounce from job to job. It's always the job's fault, ain't it? It's never their fault instead of providing for their family. Let me make something clear to you. It'll be a cold day in hell. When I look at my wife and my kids and tell them I can't provide for them. 
If I had to go flip hamburgers to provide for my family, I'll go flip hamburgers. And there ain't a more egocentric person in this room than me. I'm just going to be honest with you. That would, that would be the most humbling thing in the world to me. But if that's what I had to do, it's what I would do. Because men are providers. And make no mistake about it, and I'm not insulting any of you men. My wife will work most of you men under the table. She's not afraid to work. But it's not her responsibility to provide for our family. It's my responsibility. God makes that clear. I love to watch the life of Jesus. He was always, always providing. As evening approached, Matthew 14, the disciples came to him and said, there's a remote place, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late, so they've been teaching Jesus, teaching the masses, it's getting late. They were in a remote place. It's not like it was easy to get back in town. There was no Uber. They said, send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. He directed the people to sit down on the grouse, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he gave thanks and he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and they were all satisfied. They all ate and they were all satisfied. Why? Because Jesus provided. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. Now remember, they only started with a few loaves and a few fish. Now they got 12 basketfuls. The number of those who ate was about 5,000, not including women and children. Jesus saw a need, and he knew as the man it was his responsibility to provide for that need. We're providers. God's called us to be providers. It's in our wiring to be providers. The problem is we've grown up in a culture that we kind of rebelled against the way our parents taught. So instead of teaching our children responsibility and teaching them that they need to provide, we've coddled them. We haven't taught them how to work on their own. We haven't taught them that there's certain things you do as you grow up. We're dealing with some things right now. We have a 16-year-old, and our 16-year-old has an opportunity to do what she wants to do for the rest of her life and get training early. So we allowed her to move to night school where she can now start this internship. They got permission from the state to start the internship early. Long story short, it's been a lot for her. She's still 16 years old. But the internship requires about 40 hours a week worth of work. She still has schooling. So she's learning there's so many hours in a day. Can't work 40 hours, go to school, hang out with your friends every night, and sleep till 10 o'clock every day. But she's a kid. It's our job to show her responsibility. Before she made those decisions, we sat down with her and went over everything and said, do you understand this, this? Because we wanted her to understand. Because we weren't going to force her to do that. Something she wanted to do. And here's what's going to happen. Over the next two years of her schooling, which she'll actually be done in about a year, she's probably going to miss out on some things teenagers do. But when she's about 21 or 22 years old and she's making six figures in her profession, she's not going to be worrying about those things she missed. It's our job to show her it's not about childhood, it's about adulthood. The Bible says, for you will raise a, uh, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. The goal in parenting is what? To get your children to leave. 
The goal is for them to leave. How do you know you've been a successful parent? They leave. They don't stay. They don't live in your basement and play freaking video games all day while you support them. They don't need mommy making sure their bills get paid or calling their credit card people because they don't know how to do it. Emily got her first paycheck the other day, full-time paycheck. I don't take delight in this because I'm the dad and I want a babier. Christine took delight to go in there and be like, hey, guess what? How much insurance is with that car? We'll take 150 of that. Her eyes got big. It's adulthood. Reality. It sucks sometimes. You want to baby them. I want to buy her every pair of shoes she wants and take her here and make sure she gets this. That's just what I do. And it's great for me because I get to be the good parent and Christine has to be the hard parent. It works out great. I love it. But she'll get to do the same to Luke. I'll be hard on Luke and she can baby Luke. But my job is to teach her to be a provider. But she's a girl, Right. I want her to know she doesn't have to depend on any man. But I want her to know she don't have to settle for a man either. She better find a man who wants to provide for her. I'm having fun today if nobody else is. Jesus knew he had a responsibility to provide for those under his care. He provided physically for them. He provided emotionally. Men, here's the problem with so many of you. So many of us, we think our duty stops at providing financially. You better be coming along and providing emotionally for your spouse. She ain't talking to somebody else over physical needs, promise you. You ain't meeting her emotional needs. Hey, man, when was the last time you provided for your family and their spiritual needs? I'm the pastor, and I, I fell at this one all the time. All the time. When's the last time you provided for your spouse and their mental needs? So how do I do that? Well, that means when you come home and she's crying, guess what? I'm I, man, whew, 46, and I'm just learning this. Just sit there and let her cry on your shoulder. You don't got to fix it. It's amazing, ain't it? Sometimes they don't want you to fix it. Because there ain't nothing to fix. They don't even know what's wrong with them. There's women. Great thing. You can watch TV while you're doing it. Just, they're crying anyway. They ain't paying attention. Men provide stability. They provide security. They provide affirmation. That's the time you told your wife and your kids you loved them. They know, no, no, when's the last time you told them? Tell them every day when I go to work. Yeah, you're a tough guy, you're good. Financial stuff's important. Providing financially is just the bare minimum. Bare necessities for a man. Your wife has a vision, she has a dream, you provide whatever it takes for her to do that. You come alongside her. Real men are providers. So here's my question to you, men. Are you providing? 
or as your hobbies got in the way of providing. Can't pay your bills, but you got money for new guns. Can't pay your bills, but you can go play golf. Can't pay your bills, but you got time to play softball. And I, listen, man, I'm not against any of those things. I'm not against me. I think every man ought to have an outlet. I'm kind of blessed in that area. My outlet is I start businesses, so the longer they make money, I, I, like I, I, that's just what I do. My problem is I get a hobby and I turn it into a business and I no longer want to do it as a hobby anymore, so I've got to find another hobby. Are you providing? Hey, real men are not only providers, they're protectors. Genesis 2, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. That term keep literally means to guard and protect. He put man in the garden, his greatest creation, the garden, nothing into something. Paradise on earth, and he put man in there to protect it. Say, what didn't he protecting from? Well, the serpent came in, and the man failed. It was his job was to be the protector. Ephesians 5, 28 says, so husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. The wimpiest man here, if someone starts welling on them, is going to do whatever they can to defend themselves. They're going to protect their own body the best they can. The Bible says we're to do the same for our wives. We're to protect her like we protect ourselves. We went and played, uh, what was that called, Brandon? Bowling last night. Cornhole meets football meets bowling. I don't know, it was weird. They got competitive. I don't get competitive. I missed about 70 throws in a row and I was done. Brandon's son's here, Cameron. Cameron's getting competitive because Christine was beating the crap out of him, let's just be honest. And you can see he's getting mad. He starts chunking this football. And I don't want to ruin the night, and he's having fun, and they got this weird bond, and so it's not really my play. But I caught myself stepping in front of Christine every time Cameron went to throw the ball. Not that she needs my protection, but it was just a natural inclination. If someone's going to get hit with the ball, and I got hit with it several times. And um, because men are protectors. It's what we do. It should come natural to us. First Peter says, husbands likewise dwell with them, them being the opposite of sexual understanding, giving honor to your wife. Oh, I camp out here for a minute. As the weaker vessel. I broke this word down this week big time. Because I have heard the church get up, and this is the verse they use as men lord over women. The woman is the weaker vessel. In every sense of the word in the original language, that simply means physically weaker. No other thing. Here's what I mean by that. Women, if it offends you, I'm sorry, it's just reality. How many of you would say my wife is in better shape than I am? She is. You might as well raise your hand. She's in way better shape than I am. She's a machine at the gym. She will school me at the gym. I did CrossFit for almost two and a half years, 
She did it for two weeks, entered a competition. Two and a half years, they wouldn't even let me on the competitive team. Two years, two weeks in, she entered and came in second place. She's a machine. As badass as she is, she cannot lift more than I can. She'll tell you that. She's physically weaker than I am. That's what that means. It doesn't mean they are mentally weaker. It doesn't mean we lord over them. It doesn't mean they're emotionally weaker. There's exceptions to rule. I get there's barbarian women out there that could bench press me. We're swiping in broad strokes. In general, men are stronger physically than women. And it's saying we should give honor to them. Honor is not something that is earned. Respect, I should do a whole series on honor. Respect is given. You respect me, I respect you. Honor is given. Whether you deserve it or not, I choose to honor you. It's why the Bible says honor your father and mother. Sometimes your parents don't deserve honor. Sometimes they were crappy parents. The Bible says we honor them anyway. The Bible says we honor them as women. How do we honor them? By protecting them. Now, you can get fired up about that. I really don't care. You can email I don't care at actionchurch.tv. It'll bounce back to you because it doesn't exist. Men are physically stronger than women, and therefore we're called to be the protectors. Jordan Peterson says a harmless man is not a good man. A good man is a dangerous man who has it under control. We don't need to be harmless men. A harmless man is inadequate when there's needs to be protecting. We need to be dangerous men, capable of doing what needs to be done, but having it under control. And this is the other problem with men. So many of us are dangerous men that don't have it under control. We go looking for trouble. We create trouble. We think we're bad to the bone. We walk with our chest bowed out and we dominate over and it has nothing to do with it. Has I've heard it said that you cannot call yourself peaceful until you're capable of violence. A person who is capable of violence can make the decision to be peaceful. If you're not capable of violence, you're not peaceful, you're harmless. You're not peaceful. You're weak. And people will take advantage of you. There's a great distinction between the two. Men, it is our calling to be protectors of our family. I'm not going to get political. I'm not going to talk about guns. There wasn't guns in the Bible times. I'm not saying you got to carry a gun everywhere you go. I am saying this. You ought to be versed at least in a basic knowledge of some type of weaponry to defend your family. Your family should feel safe no matter where they're at when you're in their presence. The weaker vessel, physically weaker, ought to know that he's willing to take a bullet from me and I feel safe. Your kids should never be concerned. Every man here ought to know how to throw a punch. I believe that. I'm going to get to my next point in a minute because it's going to go back to that. I'm not saying we got to be brutes. I'm not saying we got to be bullies, but we ought to know how to protect our families. The Bible says it very clearly that we have a responsibility. We were put in the garden to be protectors. 
We're to love our wives as we love our own bodies. We're to honor the opposite sex. And here's the deal. And you women, uh, I don't want to say you women. Ladies can snarl their nose up at this all day long, but they know when they don't feel safe. And they know when they go into town feeling safe. They know when they go with confidence because the person they're with is going to do whatever it takes to protect them. We should be the protectors. Doesn't mean we go looking for trouble. But it means we're capable of trouble if it happens. We had a fight night here two weeks ago, and it's sanctioned by the Athletic Commission. So the Athletic Commission requires you to have certain things. So the, the um, Athletic Commission required, required me to have a security company in here. I've always used volunteers in that role. I could not use volunteers this time. Had to bring in professionals. These were some bad dudes. Every one of them was trained in fighting. Every one of them was trained in weaponry. There's not a one of them I would have wanted to mess with. You just walked back by them. There's a thousand people in this building. There was no issue. People knew who they were. They identified themselves very clearly. But I was in the pre-show meeting with the security team. And I watched the boss get up and he began to talk to people. We got doors over here and doors over there. He was laying out the plan of the building. And then he said something that just kind of shocked me. He said, I need you to remember this building is going to be packed tonight. And our job is to de-escalate the situation, not escalate them. problem with so many, man, I, we want to escalate the situation. Someone gets an attitude, we get an attitude back. We want to throw it, we think we're, 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 we're the secure, so we ought to throw them down on the ground. He said, we de-escalate the situation. We had two small instances that we had to do that. I watched them. I watched a lady get in one's face, and she's screaming, hollering, and I just walked, the guy kept stepping forward, talking to her calmly. He didn't realize, though, she didn't realize every time he was stepping forward, she was stepping backwards all the way to the front door. He didn't have to throw her over his shoulder. Other guy we threw out of the building, no issue, they threw him out. I woke up the next morning, had a direct message to the company page. So sorry for my behavior last night. It will not happen again. Can I please attend the next show? We didn't escalate the situation. We didn't make it worse. They're real men. They knew they're bad to the bone. They didn't need to have a pissing contest to prove they could protect. Man, I asked all the time, what's the difference between dealing with wrestlers and fighters? Because I have a wrestling promotion and a fighter promotion. It's real simple. Wrestling is scripted. So every one of those wrestlers, and some are going to watch this and get offended, but it's true. Every one of those wrestlers, because they have it in the back of their head that people are looking down at them because they fake fight, you walk in the locker room and it's nothing but ego because they want you to think they're bad to the bone. They have an insecurity about whether they can fight or not because they fake fight. Fight night, I walk backstage, and these dudes could literally break your neck in two seconds. They're trained to fight. They're bad dudes. Every one of them. Every one of them. Mr. Lamb, thank you for having me tonight. Such an honor to be here. And I think they were the most soft-spoken, tender-hearted people. Why? Because they know they're badasses. 
They don't got to walk with their chest bowed out. They don't got anything to prove. They knew, hey, you fat 46-year-old man, I'll break you in 2.3 seconds. It was amazing the difference. That's what we're talking about. Jordan Peterson's talking about. When you're really a bad dude, you don't got to act like you're a bad dude. The guy who announces how tough he is is normally the weakest of them all. He's trying to intimidate you with his loud voice, his hand motions. They don't want to throw down and fight. They're, you know why they're doing that, really? Because they're scared. We're called to be protectors. Violent men who have learned to control that violence. You've heard the Chinese proverb, it's better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in the war. We're called to be protectors. Jesus was love. Jesus was grace. Check this out. Children flocked to him. You want to find out the character? Someone see if children flocked to him. Children and dogs. Children flocked to him. Yet Jesus knew there were times that he would have to protect. The Bible says in John 2, 15, so he made a whip out of cords. Jesus. Now I want you to picture this with me. This isn't flying off with the emotions and losing his temper. The Bible says he made a whip out of cords. So he had to grab some cords. You'd think he'd calm down during that time. He'd get his bearings. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all the temple courts, all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of money changers, and he overturned their tables. They had turned the house of God into a money market, and Jesus said, enough is enough, and he came in and he protected the house of God. And if it meant he had to get violent to do it, he got violent to do it. There's times you have to take a stand as a man because if you stand for nothing in the words of the great theologian Aaron Tippins, you'll fall for anything. There's some things that are worth fighting for. This is important. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. You read the life of Jesus. He was provoked every day. Mocked every day ridiculed every day, criticized every day, questioned every day. He didn't acknowledge all of those. He didn't fight with everyone. Hey, it'd be good for some of you to realize, mm, this is good preaching. You don't got to attend every fight you're invited to. It takes two to fight. Some of those said, so-and-so trying to fight with you. I said, well, they can keep on trying. I said, well, I can't fight unless I respond. I said, so-and-so's not fighting with me. They're just bitching about me. Bitching about me is a one-way conversation. Fighting with me takes both of us. I don't care about that idiot. Stay in the long line of idiots. Don't make another horrible country rap video. I don't care. They get seven people to watch it. What do I care about? Oh, you don't know about that? If you know, you know. I don't care. Who cares? It's not my job to fight with everyone. But you got to fight sometimes. You got to decide what it is you're willing to protect. Remember the series we just got out of Nehemiah? Remember Nehemiah 4? He said, After I looked over things, I stood up to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people. I said, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who's great and awesome and fight for your families. You want to see someone fight? I will fight for my family. I'll blow this entire church up over my family. All of them. 
fight for your son. Fight for your daughter. I'll fight for my kids even when they're wrong. Now I'll whoop their tail when we get home. But even when they're wrong, you ain't going to come after them. My job is to protect them. Someone, we had a situation recently with our teenage daughter and boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. He's, let me say he's no longer the boyfriend. And someone said, what are you going to do when she's in her 20s and it's her husband? I said the same thing. You have two rips. He can put a ring on it all day long, and I'll still put a, still put a foot up his tail all day long. It's my job to protect my family. It's not your job to protect my family. It's my job to protect my family. It's my job to protect them physically. It's my job to protect, protect them, going back to the first point, financially. It's my job. When I step out and take risk in business, I've got to protect my family and make sure, hey, if this fails, my family's taken care of. How many times have I met with Christine? Where's she at? I've met with Christine on more, so many occasions and said, hey, I've got this idea. She's like, okay, I said, if it fails, it means a two-bedroom apartment. Are you cool with that? Most times she says yes. There's been times she says no. I don't follow that one. My job is to protect her. I've got to make sure she's in tune with that. It's my job to, to protect her spiritually, emotionally from people that are coming after her. Because make no mistake about it, the healthier your relationship and your marriage is, everybody else is going to come after it. You better protect it. Ladies, you think that it's insecurity when you go out and we get worried. It's not insecurity. You want to know you're protected. I'm not insecure about my wife going dancing in downtown Woodstock. You think I care about that? I trust her. She can defend herself. But she's going to get home and I'm going to be awake. I'm going to be waiting by the phone the whole time. Waiting. Because I don't rest until I know she's safe. I don't rest until my kids are safe. I got up the other night, yesterday, other week, raising cane. And we got home at 11-something last night. I was mad as hell. Christine's like, no, she didn't. I said, don't tell me. I even asked you where she was, and you told me she stopped at Walmart. I had this whole, it was a dream, I guess. I don't know, because as we're looking at the message in the ring door, but she got home like an hour and a half early. In my dreams, I'm getting mad and ready to protect. I'm mad as could be. My job to protect. That, so little things. Emily gets a car. You think she's getting behind? She got a car. You think she's getting behind the wheel of that car? Until we haven't checked out? My job to protect her. It's my job to get it to the shop and make sure the bread. I don't know how to do that stuff. Well, if you are a man, no, that's, that's a byproduct of being a man. I don't got to know how to change brakes to be a man, but I can make sure there's enough money where I can get the brakes changed. I make sure it's got good wheels on it. I'm protecting her the best I can. That's your job, men. It's your job to protect your family. Man, what are you going to fight for? Some things are worth fighting for. Some things are worth going to war for. I got to get this here. Sermon done. Listen, listen. Men are called to be providers. They're called to be protectors. This isn't the best word, but you know, the Baptists in me made sure they had to all start with the same letter. Real men are professors, they're teachers. It's our job as men, and this is where I think we have dropped the ball the most, to teach the next generation of men how to be men. We quit teaching, so guess who's teaching them now? 
society, mamas, people who stay masculine, or, or, or they rebel against the fact that no one's teaching them and they go find out from toxic people how to be men that ain't really men. The church is teaching them and the church has screwed up masculinity. Society's teaching them and it's screwed up masculinity instead of men who understand that Christ is the example and us teaching them. See, we tend to think of a teacher as this. Not a teacher. A teacher's like, hey, son, come along. Let me show you how to change this tire. Hey, son, let, let me show you how to make sure. Get that paycheck? Let, let me show you how to make sure things are taken care of. Hey, son, let me make sure you have this taken care of. It's going along and doing. And I don't have too many verses for me to share. But Jesus was constantly teaching. Everywhere he went, he was just teaching and passing on knowledge. A man ought to be a teacher. And if your kids are not listening to you, chances are they're not listening to you because they see the hypocrisy in you. <laughs> Damn, that's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. I've heard some black ones do it, but a white one's getting to do it today. He's looking at you. My kids won't listen because they see you telling them to do something you're not doing. Sometimes you've got to be a professor by example. You're teaching your children how to treat their future wife by how you treat yours. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, my Luke, whoo, this might not be right to say he's going to be a panty dropper. Son, he is a pimp. That kid's 11, he gets the door. He won't even got to know Christine got, mom, you get new nails. He's been making his move on Betty for about four years now. Emily's got this little friend, Riley. Luke is the Mac on that. He found out she was going on a cruise with us, and we had to, like, pull him off the side and say, hey, son, like, she's in high school, and you're in fifth grade. That would be appropriate. Pimp. My responsibility had to teach him. Learns those things by example. So, man, here's the deal. All the things we think of as masculinity simply boils down to this. Are you providing in every element? Are you protecting and are you being a professor? Are you teaching the next generation? The only way the pendulum is going to come back to the middle is for those who understand balanced masculinity to bring it back to the middle. Make no mistake about it. There is a war on masculinity. A war. We have savages. We have gentlemen. The middle savage gentlemen. Let's pray.